If you're not already a subscriber to the London Review of Books, now is the perfect time to try. Sign up for just £5 a month and treat yourself to some of the world's best writing from Europe's leading magazine of culture and ideas. Subscribe now while you're listening to this podcast at lrb.me forward slash now. That's lrb.me forward slash now. Welcome to the London Review Bookshop podcast. This episode is a discussion of Ian Nairn's Modern Buildings in London, which first came out in 1964 and was republished by Notting Hill Editions in September 2023. Travis Elberer, who wrote the introduction to the new edition, was joined in conversation at the bookshop by architectural historian Gillian Darley and architect Charles Holland. We're here because it's the 40th anniversary of, of Nairn's death, as so well. he died sadly and rather tragically at only 52. Um, and often with people <laughs> who've died young, some of the obfuscation and mythology is created by other people. But in a sense, you're saying that he, he, he got, got a head start. Well, I mean, his death was not quite like usual. I mean, he was killing himself yeah. for years before he died. Mm-hmm. And that was, um, if anybody saw the um, BBC Four film, mm. The Man Who Hated the Planners, um, a very odd title I always felt, but quite an interesting film mm. uh, the BBC did. Um, and you've got the sense, at one point, you had the people who worked with him at the Sunday Times, which was at the very end. So Harold Evans suddenly decided that he would give him shed loads of, you know, just a great deal of money and yeah. just go out. And that's exactly what he didn't need. Mm-hmm. Um, and Judy, who was, I think, probably quite... I mean, Judy was Pevsner's uh, right hand on mm-hmm. the buildings of England. So mm. she was a very, very erudite woman. She was a... Uh, and she was a series editor by the end, but she could drink him under the table as well. I mean, they drank and smoked, like, whatever. Mm. They went, they were very, they loved France, so off they mm-hmm. went, and he just started to send these bits back to the Sunday Times about places he really liked mm-hmm. uh, in France. And, um, you know, there, there was sort of, it was as if they'd been sort of given a long holiday, but it was actually probably not the best thing for, for the end what of do his... You, what do you think he did need? I think he needed to be... Well, he needed to be investigating something. Those films, mm-hmm. um, and a lot of them are on YouTube, so the, the football films uh, where he, he, he runs a competition between, um, uh, well, Halifax and Huddersfield, and, and it, it goes on. There are a lot of mm-hmm. them. And they're, they're really wonderful, and they're probably the best thing he did yeah. in film, yeah. I think. Um, and it, it, he was just sort of... In, in that case, he had, I suppose, indulgent directors, a director in particular up there. Everything he did was from BBC Manchester. Mm-hmm. And I do clearly remember um, sitting in the barbican, talking, um, lots of clips being shown, and Elaine mm-hmm. were there. And she sort of rose up and she said, well, it's all very well, you know, all this stuff coming out of London. And I, always, I was a bit frightened of Elaine at that point. And I said, <laughs> but Elaine, no, it all came out of Manchester. He never made a film mm. out of London. The yep. only thing he did was for the, uh, you know, the public information. Exactly, film. the COI, what it was yep. called, yeah. Yeah, the, Pimler, the Pimlico film. So, mm. so London was sort of... Within of his essential. television world, he's, he's moving away from it often, yes. isn't he? As well. yes. I mean, so that's more of this pressing on and going yeah. on a journey of exploration. And that's, I think, what really appeals to me yeah. anyway. I mean, I you know, just, just love just running off in directions. 
Charles, I mean, the the thing that the thing that, in a sense, the, the key element about about Nairn's history and his biography is that, having eventually inveigled his way onto Architectural Review and Architects Journal, he authors this issue called Outrage in 1955, um, where he coins this term subtopia. But but it's kind of a it's a it's a, an assault on not just the architecture profession at the time, but just the state of the built environment at, mm. at that time. And, th- and that relationship where he always presents himself, it seems to me anyway, as against the architectural establishment, he, you know, presents himself slightly as the voice of truth, the voice of the common man. How did that go down with architects? And what, and what, is, it, what is his, how does he sit in those of you like yourself who actually do the hard graft and actually put buildings together rather than wandering around in a Morris Minor critiquing them from the, from the outside, which is you know, a lovely job and I, so I heartily enjoy it myself. attractive life. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, I think he... That's a really interesting question. I think Nan is a writer's architecture critic rather than an architect's architecture mm-hmm. critic. And this might be a product of my own lack of learning or ignorance, but I came very late to Nan mm-hmm. as someone to appreciate his writing. Mm-hmm. And actually, if I think back, the people that alerted me to his work and the people who encouraged me to read it were all writers primarily. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember Owen Hathley um, and others saying, you, you have to, and Kieran Long, who mm-hmm. was, I think, at the time, wrote a blog in the days when people wrote such things and it was yeah, called yeah. Nairn's Ghost mm. and it was a vehicle for being out you know anything he found in the built environment was kind of outrageously terrible he could kind of exercise his mm-hmm. uh, demons by writing sort of through the voice of Nairn and they encouraged me they said I can't believe you haven't really read yeah. Nairn so I think in the pantheon of architecture critics of you know Kenneth Frampton or, or Charles Jenks or any number of people um he doesn't really figure, and mm-hmm. he didn't figure in my architectural education at all. I mean, did Rainer Bannum, by contrast... Bannum did certainly did, yeah. yeah. Bannum I mean, was inside the architectural yeah. world. Yeah, I mean, because they're both contemporaries and, and writing in the same journals, weren't they? Roughly. Yes, yeah, and, and that, um, that's really interesting. And, and again, mm-hmm. I might, you know, I, I recognise this might be some sort of blind spot of mine, mm-hmm. but I, I think he slightly existed outside of... Of that, and I think possibly one reason might be he was very un- unlike Bannum. He was completely uninterested in defining movements, mm-hmm. which architectural critics generally like to do. They like to say this is what we should be doing now, and sort of uh, stylistic isms. Mm-hmm. Um, and he didn't really do that. Um, and I don't think he was really interested in style in any recognisable sense that architects are. He wasn't mm-hmm. really interested in lineage and chronology and that art historical kind of series of sequences. Mm-hmm. This leads to this leads to this. Yeah. He wrote about buildings, I think, from a, an incredibly primal experiential point of view. He obviously mm-hmm. brought learning to that, but maybe mm-hmm. his lack of formal education meant that he could be... Um, quite sort of eclectic and, uh, mm. and um, magpie-ish about that stuff. Mm. And maybe, you know, the fact that he sort of just got bored of writing Sari Pevsner is an illustration <laughs> that he wasn't a classic. It was Sussex, wasn't it? Sussex was the one who Sussex was like, up. I can't be bothered to look up the joke. He worked his way through Sussex, Surrey, having been right, having brought, grown up in well, Frimley, I think, wasn't it? Yes. Um, but Sussex defeated him. He, he, got, he got through West Sussex. And, well, it's big. 
Yeah, it is. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But his his own parents, bizarrely, I think, had moved to Amring or something, hadn't they? Because there's a whole bit where he says the ne the, yes. the Nairns of Amring or yes, something. Yes, that's right. Tried to re re, re yeah, exactly into this this sort of strange lineage. But I mean, obviously, Jillian, yourself, you, you know, you were a and you still are, you know, a, one of the great writers about architecture. But you were an architectural critic. Had you read him as a kind of rookie? Critic in a way, or was it? I read Nans London. That's where yeah. I came in, and mm -hmm. I was a student. Came out my first year at university, uh, and I just blew me away. It was wonderful, mm -hmm. absolutely wonderful. And then I suppose over the years he just kept sort of popping up. Mm -hmm. But it, it's interesting the mention of Bannum because. I never quite got to grips with it, except I did. I was somewhere and I met Mary Bannum and I thought, oh, now's the moment. So I went up and I said, how, how, did, um, <laughs> how did they get on? She just looked at me as if I was something that cat had spat out. <laughs> so I think the answer was that Raylan Bannum and Ian Nairn, although they lived and worked in, mm. you know, within, and they both came from Norwich. I mean, the number of overlaps were incredible. Yeah. And their wars weren't that different. I mean, they're sort of post-war, yeah. you know times mm -hmm. um so i think there was lots of i think kind of you know, playground stuff it really was yeah um but that's that's gossip and not but at the same time they were they were both considerable figures yeah and it's kind of and both and both also making television programs mm. and i mean you I mean, can't, can't uh, imagine either of them getting in that sort of tangle with john summerson can you no <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> but I wonder, one of the, the fascinating things to me, and, it's, it, and it's, it's, not, it's not covered by this book or any of the ones on the table or anything else <laughs> we're talking about, is that Nen did go to the States um, on, a, on a sort of grant, wrote quite an eccentric book about America, whereas Udi Bannum went to the States mm -hmm. and wrote a very well-received book about Los Angeles and, you know, and came up with a kind of, I guess, a word, Backing up Charles's point, where he came up with a kind of a theory about the architecture of, of Los Angeles, putting it into these quarters and, and so on. Um, but it, the figure that it seems to me that, that Nairn is closest to, both in the sense that he, he stays with her and knows her quite well, but also in terms of a figure that, slightly outside the architecture thing, but having an influence perhaps beyond the normal architecture world mm. thing, is Jane Jacobs. Yes, well, he did stay with her. And... Um, there were sort of moments when I think he must have thought he was he was beginning to sort of make waves in the U.S. and it, it it's a strange episode and the book comes the book comes out several years later like what's it called the landscape of and it's lots and lots mm. of photographs and sort of analyses of uh, all kinds of things I mean he he loved Pittsburgh he loved but he'd had this kind of um, this sudden sort of um, catapulting into the American mm -hmm. um, picture through Fortune magazine. Mm. And that, and a, a, a set of pieces which Jay Jacobs had uh, written mm -hmm. something, he'd written something, and Gordon Cullen was supposed to be working with him, but Gordon Cullen didn't fly. I mean, sometimes these things are so sort of essential to the history yeah. of yeah. a period. So Gordon Cullen would not fly, could not fly. And so... Nan took photographs and Cullen drew them. Mm. So when they actually were published in Fortune magazine, mm -hmm. that's how that was what mm. the genesis was. Yeah. But Nan wasn't there with Cullen because he was still there with, you know, yeah. <laughs> with the pond. But I suppose that made him feel something was going to really take off yeah. from there. And he knew uh, Douglas Haskell. There were all these key figures. Mm -hmm. 
Um, and there was a lot of money washing around. That was mm -hmm. the other thing. There was there was funding from um, oh, a, a foundation. Mm -hmm. um, and it was quite sort of, I think he got some support, mm -hmm. but it felt, it must have felt very different from the world of Queen Anne's Gate sure. with the stuffed, you know, lion's head and all the old, but a nice Old pub school. in the basement, though. You know. But he never went there. <laughs> Did he, he not? hardly ever went there because, it, I mean, it was a class war, really. Mm. They were yep. all... It was Oxbridge. It was yep. you know, It was a completely different world. Nan went down the road to... Uh, one person I talked to was called Jerry Nason, and he'd been the art editor of the Review for quite a long time. Mm -hmm. They used to creep out, having done the sort of end matter of the AR, what it was called. It was a sort of one page that went in the end which was at the end the only thing that Nan did for the Architecture Review. And they'd just go and get completely, you know, drink themselves into the ground, but in some dingy hole round the back, mm -hmm. nowhere near uh, yeah, you know, the, the grand great, thing, the great thing. And then sort of wander back and, and try and cobble something together on the page, you know, mm -hmm. in the days of, you know, yeah. paste and whatever. I mean, I, <laughs> so I, mean that, I think that thing about class is, is, is important, though, isn't it, to him? He's, he goes to Birmingham University, which is, you know, as Jonathan meets, and he meant it means it as a compliment. You know, he's, it's very red brick. Mm. Uh, it's not Oxbridge, my, my alma mater, as it happens. But <laughs> <laughs> so I'm fond of it. Um, but um, and he studies mathematics. He doesn't do architecture or architectural mm. theory or art history or any of those fields that would normally qualify someone to kind of drift into the architectural world at, at, mm. at, at that time, possibly. How? Clearly, but one of the things that strikes me is that obviously uh, outrage comes out a year before look back in anger. But in a sense, he it's in somehow instantiates a generational shift, which is going to be you know um, slightly more red brick. It's going to be a bit more working class, um, and it's going to be sort of chippy about the establishment in some way. Well, he references um, in film, novels, yeah. whatever. You know, you. I mean that side of Nan is is uh, it's not hidden at all. And, no, yeah. you know you, you know exactly where he would like you to feel he comes from, and of course having flown meteors and mm. Gavin Stout was very funny about the idea. I mean, he's, you know, kind of he understood rather more than I do what flying a meteor would be like. Mm -hmm. Let alone you know, I mean, this is a meteor in peacetime, okay, but. It's I mean, sort of jet, it's a major... And, and what is he there, doing yeah. with the meteor? He's flying over Norfolk, recording <laughs> sewn buildings. I mean, it's... it's all, can, it, you, can you actually genuinely see a sewn building at, in a jet? He I told Dorothy that. Stroud, so I, I was sort of... I'd love to see one from a car. There's, <laughs> a, <laughs> there's a whole stack of letters in the sewn museum yeah. between Dorothy Stroud, who was the um, director, yeah. and... Um, Summerson sidekick, um, and and then and you know it's this boyish hand. Can may I? And then they met in in Norwich and had a little sort of get together. He discovers one that's unknown. doesn't He does. He? Yes. yes, yes. There's a sort of Amazing. pavilion which must have been covered with vegetation. I think he knew where they were before he set out. Yeah, it's a nice line anyway. Google Earth at the time. <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, the, the level of eccentricity that he started with as his sort of. Um, as the character that he mm. inhabited. And I sort of feel, as it went on, and especially I think as things didn't go so well in America and things began to... He sort of got to the end of the 
topics he could do on television. He'd run out. Right. He, was, yeah. he couldn't reconstitute himself yeah. into another is it, but also, but also, isn't it that he? I mean, one of the things about doing, you know, modern buildings <coughs> in London is for them. It's for the most part, it's still optimistic, not entirely. It's still critical, but it's nowhere near as as downbeat about certain modernist directions that he'll, that he will end up in. I mean, that, maybe it's overstating it a little bit, but I, but it, I think obviously by sixty six he issues that. And by, by 62 weeks, he's also moved to The Observer mm. under David Astor, um, who obviously had published Kenneth Tyneman. So it's a, it was a kind of thrusting mm. new sort of Sunday newspaper at, at, at that time. And then again fits in with that at that, at that time. But by 66, uh, I mean, the back of the original, my original copy of, uh, which isn't this one, but... Um, the, uh, the original one says, you know, go and see these buildings mm. now before mm. they go. Yep. Because the pace of development in London... Oh, that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> goodbye London there as From well. From the 70s. But, but there's, a, there's, a se- there's a sense... But also, one of the things, I suppose, in a way, is that Nen is a campaigner. He uses newspaper print to, to campaign by issuing that Stop the Architects Now screed mm. in 1966. But he won't join things like the Civic mm. Trust... So he's, he keeps a certain degree of distance, even from things that, in a sense, you think he might have mm. wanted to support. I mean, in 67 is the passing of the Civic Amenities Act, which actually ends up saving um, St Pancras um, Station and, mm. and various other um, Georgian and Victorian buildings from destruction, which had gone on up until that point. And he, I mean, how, what does Nairn think, for example, of the, the Euston Arch? I haven't, I haven't actually come across um. any... any of his writings about that. I think it's that. just mentioned in passing in, in yeah. here. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> it's already gone, hasn't it? Yeah. Um, I think he would have... I mean, that would be in the category of uh, buildings and campaigns that were being very well taken care of. By, by someone else. By all those yeah. lofty people. Mm. Um, and if they weren't, you know, the, the sort of... Uh, the rather grand people from mm-hmm. uh, Queen Anne's Gate and so on, mm. you know, it was Pevsner. I mean, I think the Pevsner... Um, Nan relationship is really quite fascinating mm-hmm. because it, it's it's sort of um, I mean he just Pevsner just thought Nan wrote about topography as nobody mm-hmm. had done yeah and that there was something that was missing in the early buildings of England which mm-hmm. was a sense of topography mm. and you put those two things together and it, you know yeah. you've actually got. Incredible. Some, some magic. Yeah. And part of the Sussex volume is just so lovely mm. when he gets going on the little churches of the South Downs and mm. so on. Yeah. And he's really, I mean, the romanticism just pours out, out of yeah. the page. I, I think just going back to, um, before we get on to, yeah, the, uh, <laughs> you know, so many things that say that are great about his writing, but on that point of... Uh, you know, I, I think he's an incredibly awkward person, isn't he? And he's, yeah. um, he's a deeply melancholic person and mm-hmm. he's drawn to the marginal all the time. And that's why he's not a proselytizer for modernism, I don't mm-hmm. think, at any one point. So yeah. um, he, you know, there's a great bit in here in in, in London where he's sort of praising the soot mm-hmm. on um, St Paul's Cathedral. Mm. And I think that if you ever want to pitch yourself against a hopeless cause, it would be to hold on. To, to the, the six, yeah. On St Paul's yeah. he's like it's like he's drawn to things that will make him deeply sad that yeah. they've lost that he's lost them, mm-hmm. and I think he's just an incredibly melancholic 
um, and an awkward person. Mm -hmm. And, you know, going back to Bannon, Bannon's a hipster. You know, he wants to grow a beard and ride around on a Milton bicycle in the desert in a, in a, in a cowboy hat looking mm -hmm. cool mm -hmm. and being really excited by all the kind of groovy things that are happening. Nairn in London, it's like, Nairn in America, it's a terrible car crash in my mind. It's like, here's <laughs> a person driving around in a Morris Minor or having very awkward conversations with doctors in Pimlico on television. Yes. And he yeah, can't yeah. really talk to people. But at the same time, um, he cuts through all kinds of snobberies and mm -hmm. received assumptions, doesn't it? And that's mm. what's brilliant about him as a critic. He's completely um, unpredictable. Mm -hmm. And he has no alliances or allegiances mm. except to what he thinks about mm. stuff. And that's yeah. what makes him so incredibly refreshing. And that's why I think his, his thing that he comes in from the left field into the world of architecture. And, yeah, it's a crash again when he meets Pevsner. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, how as you say, Pevsner's like going, this is also incredible writing. No one mm. writes as unbelievably insightfully and occasionally incredibly wrongly <laughs> about <laughs> architecture. <laughs> But I mean, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, he he's he's still sort of badgering Pevsner later on, even though they've slightly fallen out about him being involved in the London volumes and other well, things, see, isn't I, he? I'd I'd forgotten <coughs> to turn back to to this one um, that actually the roots yeah, of, of this, this are in a, a, a request to get <coughs> the London One yeah. um, mm -hmm. was being revised, mm -hmm. and they were all. Um, getting going, and but because of the new relationship between um, Ian and Judy, mm. um, because there was a first Mrs. Nairn who yes. David and I went to visit, yeah. who was instructed by him to change her name because he thought Joan was rather. Joan. She was called Joan, yes. My grandmother's name. <laughs> he, he was, anyway, I mean, I, happens, thought that was, yeah. I thought that what was. What did she change it to? Well, he, I think he told her that uh, Elizabeth would be nice. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, his same name as the Queen, I guess. I mean, I mean that helped at the I time. I mean, that was quite, you know, that was an alarm bell for me. And there yeah. were moments when David and I looked at each other and said, you know, all this matiness, I mean, particularly, you know, the, the sort of the blokiness of it all. Mm. But so we were ten years ago thinking, you know, this is, this is quite strange stuff to serve up now with all, yeah. the, all that. And it, and it, it, <laughs> no, you're right. I think I think that that's, that's it, that is a very point, valid point actually. Because, but I wonder if it wasn't just some sort of also overcompensation on his part, but maybe not. I don't know. It just seems as though it's like um, I don't know in the, the far show, you know, like where he, like he's trying to be friendly with Ted in the yeah, yeah. in the in the bar or something, <laughs> other, but can't quite do it. Yeah. There's an element where it's an, it, it, he's not probably like mm. that particularly, but at the same time. According to his television director, he did use prostitutes in, uh, or supposedly anyway, and, yeah, and, yeah, and was... apparently expressed some death wish to be with a Walloonian tart, I think was the, was the, was the, the phrase he used, which obviously doesn't really sit That's particularly comfortably another, in the, the post-Me yeah, post, yeah, exactly, <laughs> post Too universe. Really, but. No, I mean, I think, I think the... Um, I mean, Judy was... Um, you know, she wasn't sort of a, you know, an English rose by any stretch mm -hmm. of the imagination, and hard drinking, hard smoking, and incredibly, you know, intellectually, um, mm. sort of up there. I mean, Pevsner's right hand with the Willies of England. So when they started, so there is a, a letter from Pevsner saying, would you 
uh, to her, mm -hmm. would you and um, him <laughs> uh, you know, start collecting some stuff because we're yep. doing this uh, revision mm -hmm. of London One. And then um, there was a terrible moment when they find a whole heap of them in a cupboard. So they had to stop uh, that particular project. And I think that the roots of, of Bond Builders yeah. of London are, yeah. the, are the, the afters, as it were, yeah. I mean, and then worked up yeah. of, of that project. Mm -hmm. And then Nouns London is then a further development mm -hmm. of some of that material. I mean, there's only 46 contemporary, or roughly contemporary buildings in Nouns London. Yeah. And this is 250. That's right, yeah. Because he wasn't allowed to do anything else except modern buildings. No, that exactly, was the point yeah. that, was, that was the reason. Exercise. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, I mean, I, th I think that's all sort of, you know, so he's... He, he, this isn't one of his real labours of love in the same no, way. No, 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 and it was also commissioned, it was commissioned by the London that. Transport as yes, well. Yes, uh, No, exactly, and, I th and, and throughout it he does the comparison to Eric Lyons and people he makes and the span houses mm. are to Nash and so mm. on, and, and there's a great historiosity in, and in it as well, and, and also lots of contemporary film references of references to the Bicycle Thieves, you know, they, <laughs> it throws in all sorts of yeah, things yeah. which show... A breadth of, of of a cultural life, which I think he's. Yes, I mean, I think I think you know when when you read this, I, I just slightly um, perhaps um, not not quite what I should be saying, but I, I think the county sections when he leaves central yeah. London, I mean, he's really starved for modern buildings in mm -hmm. the city. You know, yes, yeah. um, Golden Lane's hardly started. Um, That's right. Yeah, and I mean it it something that I had never thought of in, in relation to this or, or in fact, Nans London, is that, I mean, I don't know how many people know about the Martin plan, the Martin Buchanan plan for the whole of Whitehall to be removed, only the banqueting hall remaining mm -hmm. in 1964. Mm. Who knew? Yeah. I'd... Um, it passed me by. And I, <laughs> I, I mean, it... it it's a pretty but, fascinating but, but the, thing. I think there was so much to do. Yeah, still. but I think that yeah, the, the, I mean, the great thing about it for me, I think, is that it does stretch right out mm. to Crawley. It goes out to Harlow. Mm. It goes out to you know bits of Kent. You know, and that allows Croydon. him to bring in the, the sort of setting and the exactly. topography. Just yeah. when it sort of, I think he's much happier. Yeah. at that stretch. <laughs> yeah, Don't, definitely. Do you think that? No, I think you're right. And also, the, everything is so unformed within, you know, the, he, the Barbican is just about underway. Mm. The ground's been broken. Elephant Castle is still... I mean, he's quite dismissive of the stuff that's going on in Marble Arch as far as mm. The, mm. the sort of the, the rotary development and that. And I think that, that, he will, that will irk him is that thing of people being set into kind of subterranean concrete layers, isn't it? Which mm. I always think is just waiting for a Clockwork Orange to kick off or a, you know, a Clash album sleeve or something or other. And I, and I, I sort of slightly miss the concrete layers now. There, there are fewer of them, but, but, but I can see why he would... And his favourite building yeah. in the city was the multi-storey car park on the Thames. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Gone. Yeah. Zid got park a black or, dot. Yeah, it's a <laughs> Zid park, yeah. The automated, we should say as well. It's automated. And, and, but it's that thing, he, he throws words like the Elephant Castle, the... So I mentioned in the introduction, but the word he throws at buildings, that, the worst he can throw at a building, which he throws at the London School of Printing and Elephant Castle, is man-hating. Mm. So, so there's an idea of humanity, which I think... Mm. I think I, it strikes me, and, and maybe I'm wrong at this, maybe you both think about this, that he considers himself a humanitarian in that, you know, trying to see the best in 
in human life and in a sense for that very reason being immensely disappointed by it <laughs> well i mean I, I do think it's sorry sort of jumping over to the to the films it is extraordinary yeah. that he actually doesn't interview a single person in any of those that doctor at Churchill Gardens. Mm. It's his doctor. I worked that one out. <laughs> yeah. It was the man would, he actually um, knew. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> it was his doctor. Yeah. I can't remember yeah. what, I mean, I, the, the evidence it is, was... an, I mean, it is an extraordinary film. Because, because, <laughs> that bit where he goes into the flat in... Um, is it Lillington Gardens? No, it's, yes. church, it's like Churchill Gardens, isn't it? It's the, or is it the one I can't remember state it is now? Yeah. Talks to an elderly woman who I thought might be his cleaner. Yeah, yeah. She's quite fun. But there's a bit where he goes into the family, and also the thing is the family of of all got that, like, we've dressed for a wedding yes. or a photo shoot. They're all immaculately dressed. Well, this was to go around the world, as it? it comes yeah, because yeah, that, that's what they did. Yes. But it's more that they start, he, he, he enters the flat and then their voices get... get Faded out, <laughs> and it switches to the narration because clearly the interaction yes. wasn't yielding with, with, anything, with really. Yes. So, is, was he a kind of megaphone person rather than a, a conversational person? I suppose, yes. I mean, I mean, he, you know, he didn't teach, he didn't lecture, mm -hmm. uh, or hardly. There was just one or two early days. I think he did something in Chester. But on the whole, he didn't. He didn't stand mm -hmm. up in front mm. of a room full of people and mm -hmm. argue his corner. He went away, you know, to the corner, the, the table in the corner mm -hmm. of the pub on his own. Yeah. You know, with the first of many pints and and wrote it all down. Mm. That's my office, he says. Yeah. Do you remember in Pimlico? Yeah, it does. Yeah. 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 So it's uh, some of it's perversity and some of it is is very worrying, really. I mean, there's, mm -hmm. there's a very troubled person. Mm. And, you know, it's very easy to sort of pick the bits that he helped to make amusing for us, but at the same time, as a person who was, before too long, is actually on a very long journey towards his own annihilation. Mm. And, and, and kind of relatively moment. quickly, in a sense, isn't it? I mean, it, it, well, over a course of 20 years, I mean, that's, 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 not, that's, uh, that's long mean, enough, but it's... Yes, I mean, his... his yeah. I think Harold Evans got rather a bad bargain because he was... He was there were the French wine cruises and outings and this and the other. And they went, went into the scene page. I mean, the bizarre thing was at some point I realised that I, I was occasionally doing things for the scene pages in the Sunday Times at the very beginning of my mm. scribbling career. And I thought, bloody hell, it's probably... <laughs> but, yeah. Mm. Um, it, it was very rub rubbish stuff, is what yeah, I could yeah. say. I mean, but, I knew it was rubbish stuff, but he, he must have done too. But it, with Charles, with... With Nairn's writing, as obviously, as as Julian has suggested, he moves over into into slightly different, almost he stops being in a sense an architectural critic, and becomes something else. But do you get the sense that he was still interested in the built-in environment? Did he st and are there architects in that that he sort of picks out that other people have perhaps n neglected or whatever? I mean, I mean, I'm struck by in I mean. One of the great buildings in modern buildings in London for me is is the the sort of bomb bomb base citadel in you know Admiralty Arch, which is, mm, which is yeah. now and it's We've now looks like that. it's like some bit of Edgeland London yeah. that psychogeographers are seeking, and there it is just sat there on the mall, <laughs> you know, in plain sight. 
doing its business, being covered in, in leaves and looking as beautifully sort of concrete and decayed. And he, he compares it to like the dream of the Cubists in the 1930s as realised by, you know, the military on, the, on this yeah. corner. Yeah, well, I mean, he, yeah, I think he remains com completely, deeply uh, interested in architecture, of course, but he does write about other things extremely well. I mean, there's a great bit in um, one of the television series where he goes out, drives out of London in his Morris Minor, he stops at the, um, he stops at Mother Gliders, doesn't he? Oh, I can't mm. remember exactly where he is. That's but what, he, he yeah. just starts to talk about them mm. in this incredibly lyrical way. So I think there's a thing about him that he is interested in the world around him visually in a mm -hmm. way that means he'll write with equal passion about <laughs> um, something that no one else will notice, like mm -hmm. a kind of, you know, uh, uh, um, yeah, the building that he mentioned that was like not on anyone else's radar, yep. sort of trying yep. to hide. And he notices something about it. And he does that, he does that all the time. And he notices things that other people don't see in ways that are like, um, quite shocking sometimes. I mean, like, I, I, you know, I'm, there's buildings that I really like that he's completely ruined for me by his description. <laughs> there's one in, um, in Surrey where he talks about um, uh, Voise's house, Norney, which, mm -hmm. I, which I really love, and, and he describes the doorway as being indescribably ugly. And yeah. after that, it's, it's done for that. I can't look <laughs> yeah, yeah. Norney ever again and not see this. The ugly doorway, it, yeah. It's sort yeah. of true, but yeah. I think it takes his sort of particular kind of... Um, a ability to sort of talk exactly as he sees it, mm -hmm. I think, and um, the fact that yeah he's looking at it yeah with great sort of intense learning, but in a kind of oblique, mm. ref refreshing mm. way. Yeah. Um, and he's also a complete loner, isn't he? Mm -hmm. he's a, so this humanity thing is quite interesting. He speaks mm -hmm. about humanity, but he sort of is always alone in his films. Mm. And his people kind of, are sort of generic. This awful Cockney thing he does, which. All everybody who sort of knew him and read him, who said, "God's sake, all this," you know, he sort of fake cut. He venerated. Yes, yes, it was yeah. a sort of real worship of which, of course, he also took to the northeast and had a huge, and that's why he um, claimed that he had in fact been born in Newcastle, which was patently untrue because he was born in Bedford. <laughs> I would have lied about that. <laughs> Sorry, no. you can you can see why you might. Yeah, I mean, I know I said in the era. You know, it's the kind of romanticism of the North, isn't there? That doesn't yeah. doesn't really exist. In, yeah, well, the, his yeah in Bedford family did have collections of North, and one of them was from Jarrah, and the other was from yeah. But I mean, what struck me looking, you know, kind of carefully with another lens to your edition here, is he's getting really fed up with having to find words for, you know, Loughborough Junction mm -hmm. or. Um, the Alton Estate, which he's really got it in for, um, and the, 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 but he must write about them. He's got to put them in. Yeah, this is yeah. a thorough account, and so he's looking for. I mean, he, I think he changed his view a bit on on Alton. So some of this is just where he was when yeah. putting this together yeah. in presumably '63, mm -hmm. in order to publish in '64, and then he, he was quite able to swing around, but. I'm quite interested by the way he sort of seizes on something like public art mm -hmm. or landscape. Mm -hmm. And there's a wonderful little bit about the um, courtyard very close to here in the Sanderson, mm -hmm. um, that, that little courtyard which is still there and is quite wonderful. Mm -hmm. I, I would recommend it to anybody. Um, as mm -hmm. I mean, the place is incredibly sort of 
um, over over whatnot. It, but it's they've left. It's obviously listed, and it's a really lovely little early fifties bit of public, well, mm. accessible um, landscape. And he, he just picks up things like the um, state's house with mm -hmm. the, with the Hepworth in the, right. in the yeah. square. Yeah, um, gets very excited about that, and the place of these things, which, in a way, you know. They, they facilitate mm -hmm. people's looking at, at buildings. He mm. doesn't have to really look at them too hard. He never goes indoors, does he? Very thought... rarely. The only, the, only, the, only, the only thing he sort of does <laughs> occasionally is like New Zealand House, where he describes being looking at the view from, mm. you know, like it has the best views from London from this point or something or other. And there also there are things in there where he, going back to his piloting, where he describes, you know, the mm. great thing of being able to fly over and see the batter... Shoe, you know, shoe yes. ensemble, whatever you want to call it, the kind of the yes. shoe village in a way, isn't it? You know, that, that's an orientation on the Thames, mm. and in the same way that driving under certain things he also describes. So there's a a sense of physical motion through the buildings. Mm. But you're right, there isn't there isn't but, a, there's a little bit on the Smithsons interiors, and also, but of course, inevitably other interiors he's, he's really into are the the Hoop Pub. In Notting Hill Gate, those the, the sadly lost. Figure. Those, yeah. those fascinate him. Because <laughs> uh, in a sense, those are the interiors I think he wants to be mm. engaged with. But you're right, he's, he's strangely street level, isn't he, for the, for the mm. most well, I part? I think that might be a nature of those programmes, because I think mm -hmm. you know, it is a trip through the landscape, isn't yeah. it? Because actually, you know, Mayor London, he writes brilliantly about interior spaces, isn't it? I mean, his mm -hmm. description of Soane's breakfast yes, room yes. is mm. incredible. Yeah. His description of St Mary Woolnoth's interior is one of mm. my favourite descriptions of any mm. interior mm. ever. I mean, um, so well, I, I mean, think he, yeah. I mean, in, in Nens London, I mean, the, the, one of the great, I mean, there's the description of the, um, the Red Lion pub off um, Piccadilly, <coughs> just, you know, and, and the Salisbury. Those, the Salisbury's those, a great yeah, again, they're, yeah. they're both about this idea of the kind of mirrors and the glitteriness. And so he, I think he definitely has an appreciation of interiors, but you're right, he doesn't mm. always. Mm. It tends to be, I think, I mean, there's a, a lot about nobility of buildings, like the, you know, the Stockwell bus garage and how well executed things are. So it, 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 it seems more of an engineering mm thing that he's often inspired by in this particular volume, perhaps. Well, maybe he learned to, I mean, uh, actually, the, the Lillington Gardens, he's, yeah. he's in and out of houses and things. That's I mean, right. Yeah. It would have been a bit ridiculous if he had been, but nonetheless. Yeah. But that's, you know, that, that, that's eight or, eight or so years um, after, after yeah. this. Yeah. But we, he does, he, he gets funny little enthusiasms and, and Charles and I are rather interested in <laughs> one of them. Yeah. Shall we produce Mr. Erdl for the people? Mr. Erdl? Yeah. yeah. Um, yes, how would you like to start with Mr. Erdl? <laughs> 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 well, yeah. Um, do you want to read a bit out? It's just this very odd, I mean, it's an odd coincidence because um, Charles has been leading, is leading, is co organising a festival in Dover, and I looked up before going out. Uh, on one of the excursions, I looked up um, a man called Jack Simmons, who was a railway historian, um, on Dover, and mysteriously there was this absolutely brilliant um, hotel illustrated um, on sort of um, sort of strutted and angled and whatever. It was the only modern building illustrated in that book, and it was by this man called Louis Erdi, and who uh, is Hungarian. 
and I certainly had never heard that name before about a month ago. And um, then we're looking, looking at this, and up he pops. Um, and this is the Epping Forest Motel on the High Street in Epping. Um, and as he says, this is in fact in the middle of Epping, attached to the Cock Inn. The Cock Inn is an 18th century coaching inn. As the other motels of this chain are well out of London, it's good to have this one in the London transport area. So, you know, whew, he's... You include it, essentially. <laughs> That's the main thing, <laughs> But nobody else but Mr Eddie could be so happily decorative without appearing to be just slick. And then he goes on a bit about... And the, and the Y-shaped pilotes, which are the thing at the bottom. And then blow me down if in um, Sussex, um, item 242 mm -hmm. in, your, um, mm -hmm. in your Bible, um, <laughs> uh, we have the WA Wood Showroom, Worthing Road, Horsham, Louis Erd, uh, in fact it's mis miswritten as Erd, but anyway he says, Mr Erdy has a very rare talent. He can use flashy cliches, I mean, poof, with such swagger that they're transformed. His motels, so he's referring back to Epping, use ideas which would be disastrous done by somebody else. So would this slick showroom, which is simply a glass wall, sandwiched between rubble stone end walls, and given a monopitch roof, sorry, I missed something there. Anyway, it displays tractors, and the bubbling design matches the colours. This kind of building is absolutely necessary to a healthy architecture, and woe betide the two pure in heart whose noses would turn up at it. So this is 1956. I mean, I don't know what he's banging on about. There's something, <laughs> there's something amiss um, around. I mean, he's obviously getting bad press somewhere, and and then he's going to give him, you know, in his Horsham tractor. Um, showroom is going to give him a full, yeah. full kudos. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, by strange Meanwhile. coincidence, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. A very weird, weird coincidence. I came across this book, Municipal Gothic, <laughs> by uh, a writer called Ray Newman, and in it there was a short story called Modern Buildings in Wessex. Mm -hmm. So, um, and in it, weirdly, um, it's a sort of pitch perfect parody of of Nern. Um, and it's Nern, a sort of Nern character writing about a fictitious Hungarian architect called Helmar Polzig. And um, uh, I'm quite interested, I'm really interested in fictitious architects. There's mm -hmm. one in, um, <laughs> in, uh, w, in Seabold's Wings of Saturn, I yep. think, when they go to Thorpe Ness. Mm -hmm. And there's, a sort of, and there's another a sort of echo, slightly sort of less interesting version of it in Esther Freud's um, The Sea House book, where she, the, the character, the female character, uh, uh, is investigating a fictitious architect who's built a house on the, Sussex coast, on the Suffolk coast. But in modern buildings in Wessex, this sort of Nern-type character is pursuing the work of... Um, Helmar Polzig, and it's really, it's quite good, this. He's right, so he says, St Leonard's School, Farrowbridge, Newtown, so everything's made up. Um, and he says, school was never like this in my day. On a steer arrangement of glass walls and raw concrete designed to bring the outdoors in and blow the cobwebs out of young minds. In London, it wouldn't register. Here in the open country, it feels as wonderfully fresh as a local clotted green. The hillside location is used to imply scale, where looked at objectively, none exists. And that, that that's very nice, isn't it? Yeah, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. And um, yeah. it's a kind of weird thing to parody. Yeah. Uh, but I was struck when I was researching and thinking about your thing that. Um, I mean, yeah. there's, I mean, there's a nan turn, isn't there? Particularly that line where it says, you know, in X it wouldn't be Y. Yes. It, that's a very nan <laughs> structural thing he will do. You know, yeah. it's like you know, there's a. Um, 
I can remember, it's, it's somewhere near Farringdon or Clerkenwell kind of way. Um, or is it, actually it's Finsbury. Is there a, a sorry, here we are, cancel that. So we've reached the 45 minutes, you'll be glad to know. But um, there's, a, there's an estate he, he mentions in, um, in Finsbury where he said, you know, he quite likes the buildings, it's in here, he just says, it would be fine if it was in a new town, but it's not, it's in Finsbury. Mm. You know, and there's, a, there's that sense of, mm. of, yeah, there's a, sort of a place the, for things you know, an within that place. about it. Yeah. And then also in that, it, it gets that pitch that he's talking about landscape. He talks about the scale of landscape mm -hmm. and the building. Mm -hmm. And I think that's quite an unusual thing. But mm. um, I know we're running out of time. I just want to read yep. my, one of my favourite bits. Maybe Go for we'll it. Because in a way, like, I guess we're here because he's such an incredibly yeah. brilliant writer about mm. architecture. Um, and that pitch and the kind of structure of his um, prose is amazing. So here's one from Nairn's London. And he's talking about St Mary, uh, East Cheap, 33 mm -hmm. to 35 East Cheap. And he says, Victorian wildness can come from half a dozen causes, from mere fashion to cantankerousness. But this is truly demonic, an Edgar Allan Poe of a building. It is the scream that you wake up on at the end of a nightmare. It's just unbelievable. I don't know if anyone you should go to yeah. 33 and 35 each. And he photographs it. It's, it's a photograph there. Uh, yeah, I mean, you won't be able to see it. But, I mean, it, it really is the scream that you is. wake up on the end yeah. of a nightmare. It's a brilliant piece of writing, and it's completely mm. unexpected. Yeah. And it somehow nails it. No, I, mean, there, I mean, there's a lot of that in here still as well, but in terms of... I, I mean, I, the comparison I make is to, towards D.H. Lawrence. He's one of those writers where he seems to start... Every sentence seems to start halfway through. There's no real kind of preamble. It's just like it kind yeah. of just bolts. Yes. Uh, and, and it's yeah. a really interesting structure. But to conclude, obviously, it's, it's been 10 years since your book, Gillian, came out, since we were involved in, in those events. How... Where is Nairn sitting in the in the cultural landscape at this point? And also, what would Nairn make of of London at this point in its current architectural situation, I suppose, or topographical I've, reality? I've pondered that, and I've sort of pretty much nonplussed. Um, I try and picture him. I mean, you know, he's always in that. Dreadful nylon, white nylon shirt on a hot day. Mm -hmm. I was thinking about him today, you know, he wouldn't cope very well at all today. Um, and, you know, he shambles about and, and a piece of hair falls and it's not a very, not a very attractive mm. image, really. And it's certainly not televisual. It doesn't have the sort of, you know, it's not the George Clark, is it? It's just, <laughs> just not. Um, and... But, but I know that an old Etonian stole the motif of driving round in a Morris Minor for his television series, who will remain nameless. But uh, <laughs> anyway. Well, I think, I mean, yeah. the, the, the thing about his filmmaking is um, obvious that no one would be given that much time, licence. No. Yeah. Um, access access to access. liquid lunches, etc. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ability to just roam around. I mean, mm -hmm. he, he is, you know, he's. Um, Clearly not making television programmes um, for like uh, for an audience that would appreciate them today. It's a bit like Alec Clifton Taylor in that sense. Mm -hmm. Like kind of, it's extraordinary mm -hmm. in a way that those programmes were ever made. Yep. Uh, you know, they belong to another era where, like, the expert, I suppose, was given a kind of mm -hmm. free reign to be, to talk expertly about a subject. So in that sense, you think he would be kind of nowhere. But in a in a way, I think though his his reputation as a critic is probably at a high, isn't mm -hmm. it? I think. Um, and a, I think the sort of freedom that he 
assumed is, is must be fantastically enviable. I don't know who is, I mean, in a way, when you're thinking of, of people who are kind of at the top of their game now, it's either a kind of long form um, analysis of something, you know, very germane in, in, in a broadsheet newspaper, or it might be, I mean, there isn't really, would he have, would he have blogged? Uh, yes, would he have written? Mm, would he have? Yes. Would he have gone elsewhere? Would he have, you know the, the the whole notion of? I mean, I tried to imagine how he sold some of the going back to the films to the program makers, whoever they m might have been, the kindly folk mm. in Manchester, because he wouldn't have got through. I mean, Hugh Weldon wouldn't have touched any of that. <laughs> I mean, that's the wonderful thing, because Hugh Weldon didn't think architecture was for television. I've, mm. I've been in the room mm. and heard him say it. So there he was going, um, you know, go, I'll, I'll make a programme about Finland. Um, and it's just Finland. And all his other European films are comparisons between two places. This is just Finland. And it, it's, it's completely extraordinary. He just goes off. Mm -hmm. He spends a very short time in Helsinki on a very hot day, looking really, really hot. Um, <laughs> and then he goes on a very sort of meandering journey, and he's going from one alto building, a long, long way up country, which is the town hall, the name of which escapes him, beginning with D, and it's sort of green, it's, it's, a, it's a collection of brick buildings, and it's, mm. and you sort of penetrate. Thank you, there we are. Um, and he does get there, but he doesn't really quite know what he's gonna say when he gets there, because he hasn't really, that but that isn't out. that always the case, though? And, and, and well, didn't the television producer in that BBC film say he would often change his mind? I think so. Uh, like he, he would like they would make a comment about the building, and then they would, and then half an hour later, be like, "Oh no, I want to do that again," and they'd be like, but, "Oh no, it's fine," you know, and, and just you know. So, and, and I think that's one of the things about reading him as well. It's like you just like don't know where it's going to go. It could go either well, way at each point. Who would have thought yeah. that the town that he would when he did his Padua Oxford? Mm -hmm that he would actually manage to tip <clears throat> that half an hour's worth over and make it actually Padua Cowley. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Manufacturing, I guess, wasn't it, at the time? Oh, the, the just port, couldn't be the... doing with Oxbridge. Yeah. Very sensible, really. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening. To find out more about London Review Bookshop events, visit londonreviewbookshop.co.uk forward slash events.